Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Each week, we'll feature a top B2B marketing leader and discuss their revenue-generating strategies. You'll get actionable tips and learn how to accelerate growth through seriously smart marketing. Now it's time to have a look at the proof and get to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. We're your hosts, Gabby and Mike. And this is the B2B Marketing Podcast, where we show you the proof in the form of case studies. And we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. And today we are so excited to have Moira Von Denacker joining us on the show. Moira is the Senior Manager of Digital and Demand Generation at Trimble. That was a mouthful. Moira, welcome. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. We're so excited. Um, Well, we know you have a pretty juicy and exciting case study to share with us today, and you mentioned to us that it was one of your favorite campaigns. So tell us, what was it all about? What did you achieve? Let's get right into it. Let's get to the point. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to share with you one of my favorite uh, pilots I put together. It was with our Trimble Construction Group. We were looking to really uh, reach a group that we're not that successful with in an inbound forum. Um, it was a, a really a great product. We needed to drive awareness, uh, looking, going after an expansion play. So really, we had a list of customers. They used our technology on some of their construction job sites, but they had you know many more across the country that we wanted to make sure that the, the buyers for those different job sites were familiar and aware of our product. And so, yeah, we, we got into a real ABM pilot to get overcome some of the challenges we're having with inbound. And I say real ABM pilot, because I think there's a a difference in in account-based campaigns and account-based marketing, where you're really aligned with sales going after shared targets. And that was really, I think, one of the things that I was most proud of and excited about with this campaign was that we we really were aligned cross-functionally with our sales, with our leadership, uh, with the targets we were going after. And and it required, I think, a lot of planning, uh, partnership. And I mean, the success spoke for itself. So tell us, what were some of the success metrics? Tell us, what did this campaign generate? Yes. So we got together, our sales team, our marketing team, and, and our business area manager, and we identified actually um, five one-to-one accounts and then uh, 15 others that we gripped into to, to groups of, of uh, five each for, for one to few. And we saw within those 20 accounts, uh, within the first 30 days, we had three new opportunities raised for those accounts. So it was really quick wins. You know, I, call, I consider myself a revenue marketer. So pipeline and closed one business are really my North Star metrics and, and really what I like to hang my hat on. So getting those opportunities in pipe in that short of a time frame was, was really an exciting achievement and, and something that we are very excited about as well. Awesome. So some, I want to go back to something you said in the very beginning in terms of there being a difference between like ABM campaigns and account-based marketing. Dive into that a little bit more. Like, what is it? You know, you obviously mentioned sales and marketing alignment. Like, I want sort of the the details on that. Not only what you think it should be, but how did you achieve it in this specific case? One of the challenges I've run into as a marketer is I don't often work with sales teams that go after a named account list. So ABM, you know, in terms of marketing and sales going after the same named account list, 
uh, makes a lot of sense. But in groups, you know, some of the the teams I've worked with, it, it's sort of been really catering to the lead flow, right? The demand um, volume lead gen model and kind of just taking whatever you kind of get, whatever bubbles up, whatever comes to you, whatever you bring in. And so this this pilot, I mean, it was it was expansion. It was a, a named customer group, and so it it wasn't a hard sell. I will say I did have to pitch it, so I had to kind of bring the idea forward. I think one of the keys to success in piloting something like an ABM is is really getting the right stakeholders involved, getting some advocates and people that you know are going to going to be uh, on your side and kind of willing to take the risk, I guess, with you that comes with trying something new and and kind of put a little extra time and involvement in for trusting you and the outcome. So those were things that I also think were, were key to the success I had here was making sure we had the, the right group, getting them together, kind of explaining what we we're going after. I mean, really identifying the pain. We had a great product. We really weren't getting it in front of the decision makers that we needed to get in front of. And so we, you know, we needed to find another way because our, our inbound methods just, just weren't doing what they needed to do. Um, and so they were all ears, you know, if you're going to find another way to help us be more successful as, you know, the, the accountable business area manager, the sales team, they wanted in, you know, so, so it was a, it was an easy pitch, um, but I did need to pitch it and, and we did need to have that trust and, and partnership developed. I'd love to, again, we're going to, we're going to go on a bit of a tangent from the actual case study, but I think this is good because anybody in a large organization like, like you are, are going to have to pitch these pilots consistently, right? So what is it that, I'd love to hear, what is it that made the pitch successful and who were the right people to get involved? Like who were you pitching to and who did you, like who were those champions that you needed to get to, to get this thing across the, the finish line, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to look different, you know, depending who you are. In my case, I had worked closely with this team for some time in, you know, and I guess I had proven success on my side going in. Um, they they knew me, they, they knew kind of some of the, I'll say, I'll throw this word out there, transformational work I led in other, I guess, marketing initiatives. And, and so I think I was lucky in that regard, but I mean, I got our business area manager for this group on board. And so the team sort of rolls up to him. So that made a, a big difference, but I don't think it needs to be that way. I think you can do a grassroots approach. You can kind of find a sales partner, get in with them, kind of learn about, I think about, you know, where I would recommend starting to is, is really meeting with your sales team and understanding their sales cycle. Who are the buyers that they're talking to? You know, where do they struggle? Um, is it just getting the opportunities in the door? Is it, the opportunities kind of going dead, understanding really where the pain points are for them is what I would recommend. If you, you know, if you don't get the buy-in from the top, I think you can absolutely find just a, a sales partner to pilot something with. And isn't that the age-old struggle, right? Of marketing not understanding sales, sales not understanding marketing. So you heard it here, folks. Talk to your teams, talk to your teammates. If you're in marketing, talk to your sales reps. And if you're in sales, talk to your marketing guys, right? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, I I see that right off the bat, there was a lot of success with the campaign, not only in getting the buy-in and selling the campaign uh, internally, but also right within, I think you said within the first 10 days or 30 days, there was three opportunities. I'd like to know what were some of the challenges, if any, that you faced when executing the campaign? 
You know, the biggest challenge that comes to mind, especially in doing a pilot, is measurement. You know, I think when you move to account-based, you're looking at different metrics, right? You're no longer necessarily looking for your MQLs, um, you know, the, the hand raiser leads or the, the bubbled up leads. You have a, a different account scoring engagement model. Your systems might not be set up for passing kind of an account over flagging an account. So there's there's just, I think, a lot more manual work that went into measuring um, <laughs> Did you guys hear that? Sorry. He, he was, he was agreeing with you in the back, yeah. I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my, my son up there. Yeah, no, I think there was a lot of manual work that we had to do to kind of understand early indicators of success before those opportunities popped up. So were we getting more account engagement on our own sites? You know, are we seeing more people from accounts coming to our sites? You know, some one of our tech tools allowed us to see view through rates. So, so accounts that were shown an ad uh, that we had developed for them and then came to our site within that next 30 days. But those metrics were, were a bit trickier. I think, you know, one of the the items that I was really firm on was making sure that we had regular syncs with our with our cross-functional team. So I set up a bi-weekly meeting while we were kind of preparing things to to keep everyone on track with the progress. And then of course after launch we we kept these bi-weekly meetings to make sure that we were um just sharing learnings as we went. So you know what were sales learning? You know, did they get any more insights on these accounts? And then what was marketing learning and, and marketing had an opportunity to kind of show where we we did have kind of those hand by hand metrics that we pulled together, we were able to roll those up to kind of give some insights there too. But that part was hard. <laughs> that part was probably really hard. And in the growing pain phase of, of not having like a, a full ABM platform rolled out that's integrated with your Salesforce, it, it's a bit tricky to get that that data shared across. So a uh, couple, couple of ways we can take this. Uh, one question would be, uh, more on the tactical, like what did, what did the campaign actually look like in terms of uh, what did the tech stack look like and what were the channels and assets that you were using for this? Yeah, so we, um, our initial proof of concept was really taking advantage of what was already in our stack. So we're Uberflip users. We have Drift, ch- Chat. We're Marketo and Salesforce users. And so those, I think, were our key tools. And then we brought in LinkedIn advertising and LinkedIn sales navigator. And so our, our campaign really consisted of something that I, I love about Uberflip is you can create these personalized account microsites very easily, very quickly. Uh, so you can curate content for your accounts on these microsites. So um, we had five one-to-one, and then we had a couple set up for our segmented campaigns. And then it was about how do we get, how do we get this distributed? How do we get this out there, right? So we had our emails through Marketo. We then looked at advertising through LinkedIn, and and we wanted to maybe explore some other ad tech. Um, And we actually were considering Terminus, um, but ended up bringing in Sixth Sense. Um, Sixth Sense wanted to kind of go head-to-head with Terminus uh, for our business, and we ended up going with Sixth Sense and bringing that in because it had the added benefit of intent, um, and we could use that tool for a few other purposes outside this this particular pilot. Um, so those are some of the, the channels we used. And of course, um, a key, I guess, key to really being successful in this personalized targeted fashion was making sure that we 
we did collect the insights um, from our, our sales stakeholders, from our leadership team about those accounts, about those segments. And we turned that into to relevant content, personalizing, you know, for, for the one-to-one accounts. You know, we did create a, a one-pager for each account that really spoke to them. You know, where were they currently using our technology on their job sites? What do we know were their exact pain points from previous conversations or from uh, previous deals? And it was personalized from the, the sales uh, development rep that we had on that account. Um, and then we curated a number of other assets that were related to those pain points that we identified for those accounts. And similarly for the segmented landing pages, microsites, we looked at kind of the generally speaking, what were the pain points that we solved for and curating content that already existed and tweaking a few other pieces there. Um, and then we used Drift to, uh, we used Drift for both having a chatbot on the landing page, but also for their calendar, Calendly like feature to book directly a meeting um, from that landing page with kind of our, our sales development reps picture on it, which is kind of neat. And then of course, yeah, I think I mentioned our, our six cents display ads. And so we had personalized ads for all of those things. Moira, I'd love to know how much of the content was created prior to the campaign launch versus during, you know, were you, were you iterating, were you changing, were you updating messaging during the campaign or was everything kind of set before? Hmm. It's a good question. I would say we we got most of the bulk of content set before. One of the things that we tried to do was was not let um, picture perfect content get in the way of getting um, the pilot off the ground. So there were some content pieces that we came up with after we launched. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, we had these biweekly cadence meetings where we kind of shared learnings and insights. So as we kind of learned more from those meetings, we tweaked we tweaked things in the campaign. So we might have tweaked some content messaging. We might have changed kind of some email outreach cadences and or uh, messaging there. So there was some tweaking, but I would say the bulk of it was developed prior to launch. And And how long did it take you from, let's say, from concept to pitching to your internal team to launch? What what did that timeline look like? Oh, I'm a fast mover. So <laughs> <laughs> if I get an idea, you know, I'm I'm on it the next day. I mean, people have been talking about ABM forever. So I've been dying for like the right use case to, to apply it in my own world. And so this, I think, idea came to me that this was, you know, I, I saw that our inbound efforts weren't working and I'm like, what? this isn't, prime to to pitch ABM. So putting materials together for that pitch probably happened, I guess, over a couple of weeks. And then having the meeting, it was a pretty easy sell, like I said. And so um, we probably spent a month really planning. I'd say, you know, the initial concept, we weren't going to bring in the ad tech six, six cents. Um, so we were really focused on kind of content and the channels that we had. And then six cents came into the picture. So we, we probably had a couple weeks of bringing in six cents. So I'd say altogether is about three months, but two and a half, two. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, it was actually quite quick. I'm thinking the things that may have slowed us down the most were really just organizing across our different teams. And how many, so I'm curious how, you know, you were obviously the project, we could say the project lead, would that be correct and accurate? Yeah. How many folks did you have on the team executing? So on my team um, or on our marketing team executing, um, we had an SEM specialist involved. We had an inbound um, manager specialist that 
I guess, demand gen, I should say, not inbound. And then there was another marketing leader. And I think there was one more marketing coordinator that was also involved. But I think the, the bulk of it was really between me and my my demand gen specialist um, with some some assistance from our SEM specialist. So I'd, I'd love to dig in a couple of things. One is, you know, you mentioned a SEM specialist, demand gen. What, and you mentioned display ads via uh, Sixth Sense. What were the channels that you were running to get this content in front of people? Was it just display or were there other, I think you mentioned LinkedIn too? Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn, email. So yeah, Sixth Sense display, LinkedIn, email. Uh, those were the primary, I think, channels that we were using to, to go outbound with. I'm curious of specifically around the display piece, how useful was it? Like how that channel in particular, because that that's... I have an opinion about those things, and I'll keep that to myself for now. We can talk about that afterwards if we have some time. But I'm curious what, and I'm not even talking about attribution because that's that's hard. But what what impact were you able to see specifically from that channel? Um, and the follow up question to that would be: Is do you think you could have had the same success without it? Either you know, maybe just doing. Link, you know, sort of the DIY LinkedIn ABM on your own kind of thing or, you know, something like that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and I came up, right? Who's actually going to click on display ads? Who's doing that these days? Which is why I like the view through uh, rate metrics that we were able to get. Um, and so those metrics, I mean, those I was much more interested in because we, we certainly, I think, weren't seeing a ton of people clicking. I think Again, coming back to what I found was challenging was was really the metrics. Really, how were we how were we able to raise those three opportunities in that short period of time? We did see you know an, a lift in account engagement that that metric was provided through Six Sense, same with the view through advertising metrics. But it did seem a little mysterious. I'll fully admit that. Um, how did it happen? You know, it was hard to directly correlate the work we were doing with those opportunities, but but they were a lift. So do I think we could have done it with without the ad tech? Maybe. I, I think there's always, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, <laughs> but uh, it certainly made it a lot more easier, a lot more quicker. And we, we were able to just get those metrics too through that we wouldn't have been able to get through through just a LinkedIn. And the targeting, I think as well, right? LinkedIn is a little bit different in the targeting than the six cent segments that you can set up. So yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed learned using it. I thought it was a good tool. It's still in our stack in, in construction and um, we use it in a variety of ways outside this campaign, but tough to say, would we have, would we've had the same success? I would, um, just for anybody maybe who's listening that hasn't used the Sixth Sense, what kinds of, like, talk, talk us through what are the types of segments that are available and how is that, you know, better than not having it pretty much? Right. Yeah, Sixth Sense offers a lot of different criteria you can use to, to build a segment. So if you have your named account list or you want to use SIC codes, NASIS codes, you have, you know, different job titles, things like that you can build, you know, segments across anything. So one of the reasons that we brought it in was also to look at doing competitor campaigns. So I think actually, and I forgot to mention intent is, is a big one. So keywords. So knowing like who is looking at keywords on our site or on other sites in their network 
is I think huge, uh, very beneficial. So as I was about to say, competitor campaigns, we could find people that were searching keywords that are relevant to, to indicate that they were in in a buying mode. You know, they were in market looking for a solution that we provided, but they hadn't visited our website, for instance, as a segment we could build. Or they had, or they visited a competitor, or they looked up competitor keywords. We could build segments around that. So there's a lot of uh, flexibility. I think there's, yeah, there's a lot you can do with it. It's It's just probably having the uh, market intel for the right messaging to present for the different segments you can can build, I think was the the key piece there. Uh, the tech allowed you to do a lot, but did you have the market intelligence, the messaging and, and the right kind of message to put in front of that segment to win them over? So I have one last question, and then I think we have to get to the point, which is how can our listeners replicate your success and do this at home? But before we do that, what was the duration of the campaign? And at what point did you consider, you know, what was sort of the the end goal? What was the the stopping point where you said, okay, this pilot is now is now complete? Like how did you sort of wrap everything up with a bow? Yeah, I mean, we kept running it. Um the like I said, I think it's an expansion play. So the target, you know, and and I actually don't think I really went into the details, but the target were top. Uh, general contractors in North America. Um, so as soon as long as their businesses are growing, they always have more job sites that they're looking to to bring the technology into. So there wasn't really like a finite point in time that we would say, you know, business is done with these groups. I actually did move on to another role within Trimble. So I handed the keys over to some of my, to the team itself, actually, that was still there. And and as far as I know, they, they kept running with, with some good success for the, the next couple of months. So it was a tremendous pilot. It was a tremendous campaign because even after you moved on, they continued to, to run the same, the same test, which is a testament to building a strong engine and having it hum and do what it's supposed to do. So kudos to you, Moira. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think now it's time to get to the point. So at this part of the show, we ask you, how can our listeners do this at home? Usually when, when you hear this on TV, don't do this at home. We're actually the show that says, do this at home. We're bringing the experts. Especially these days, because everyone's at home. Right, exactly. <laughs> we're bringing the experts to the show and we're letting them tell you exactly how to do this. So let's break it down. You talked a little bit about the tools. We, we went over that. We talked a little bit about kind of making the case, bringing this up to your team and getting it sort of off the ground. But what do you think are some other key factors uh, to, to your success that you think are very relevant and um, important details if somebody wants to run a similar pilot? Yeah, number one, if I if I haven't stressed it enough, I think is is the alignment with your sales org. Really understanding the pain that you're trying to solve for. So you know, where in your funnel are you trying to kind of provide a little extra support or a boost? And then I think part and parcel to that is also using them as your resource to really draw out insights, truly relevant account insights that are going to make your messaging and your marketing stand out because you truly are resonating with what they care about at a level that you can't necessarily do when you're doing kind of an inbound casting a wide net, right? You're going out with the spear. So you're going out with a lot more personalized, relevant message. And I think it's there's only so much you can do as a marketer researching, uh, depending who your audience is. So being able to really rely on, on your sales team is having those conversations with those accounts is, is really key too. 
So I would, I would certainly recommend those two things. And then to not overcomplicate it, right? I think that's the other big piece that can sometimes slow people down is, is to, to focus on maybe all the things you don't have or all the things that, that could be and allow those to, to get in the way of doing what you can do today. You know, I like to say your minimum viable product in marketing. So what do we need to just get things out the door to start to learn, to start to test and to start to iterate? Those would be my recommendations. You know, don't don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. I think what I got that wrong, but you know what I'm going after? Progress, not oh, perfection. No, you got it. You got it. <laughs> that on the head. Good. That's one of my favorite quotes. You had it. You had it perfectly right. No, that's that's very true. And I think I think we can all agree. We're all three marketers here on the call today. If there's anything that we've learned as being marketers, especially B2B marketers, is that our jobs are never done. There's always more to do. There's always more iteration to to bring forth. There's always things to test and learn. So I think your insights there are spot on that. You know, don't get hung up on the details, get it out, test, learn, and go from there. So I love, I love all of that feedback and it is always good to be reminded of that, I think, sometimes. Um, Mike, do you have any other questions for, for Moira on this awesome pilot campaign? No, I don't think I do. I think we, we covered, covered a lot of ground. Fantastic. Well, you've showed us the proof. We've gotten to the point. Now it's time for our lightning round. So this is fun. I think you're going to enjoy these and I'm excited to hear some of your answers. Moira, what are the main KPIs you use to evaluate marketing success? Oh, always revenue. Marketing source revenue is a big one for me. And then pipeline, right? And and I I guess, you know, those are my my two key metrics that that I really like to focus on. I I'm a firm believer, you know, especially if we are talking demand gen volume lead base you can't stop it at an MQL marketing qualified lead. You know, you really have to understand the quality. And the only way to do that is, is to, to measure it all the way down the funnel. What's a new marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking forward to testing this year? Uh, that is a tough one. I am a self-proclaimed MarTech geek. So I'm always on the lookout for cool new tools and technology. But um, one of the things we've we've been focused on, my, my team's been really focused on and I wouldn't say it's new, but I think it's really important. We really need to flush out our persona um, content further and to really be able to, to cater to the different personas that we're speaking to in a, in a more, I think, like a continuously uh, developed and um, continuously uh, working on how we better understand them and better cater to their specific needs. So one of the things that we've recently done is we, we leverage a tool we have at our stack called LeadSpace to build out custom persona scoring and segmentation. So we've segmented our database by these different personas and we... Um, you know, we have some content, but we're really looking to really flush out each of the questions they have along their buyer journey, and then be able to sort of serve that up, um, whether it's updating our nurture programs or if these account-based campaigns, you know, that we're running, that we are driving, I guess, the persona-specific messaging throughout those and, and not just focusing kind of on one overarching message. So I wouldn't say it's an, a new strategy, but I think the more you can really understand who you're talking to and cater to them, the better. Sorry for that long answer in this lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I love it. What you can answer this in in one of two ways. What is your favorite or what is your least favorite business word or catchphrase? 
So I'm not a big catchphrase business jargon terminology um, person. I will say, you know, a, a word that my team rallies around is greatness. And I say that because, um, you know, I guess just echoing our point earlier, I think we so often are looking out for perfection that it, it stops us from just doing great things. You know, I, I have a, you know, I, I have a team, I think of competitive spirits. I have a competitor and, you know, often the, the team I work with, we're all, we're all really competitive and wanting to be kind of the best and do the best work we can. Um, but we sometimes get hung up, I think, on what, you know, best perfection looks like and, and to really focus on, on greatness is something that I really like to emphasize to make sure that we are continuing to just, to just improve day by day. Absolutely. I, I agree. I'm a recovering perfectionist, as I like to say. So I think, again, that's a really good reminder for, for all of us listening. And um, greatness is a wonderful word to have unify your team. So I love that answer. What are some of the podcasts you listen to most frequently? I'd love to say proof point when this goes live. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of my favorites right now is the state of demand gen. Um, I think it's really interesting. I also love um, demand gen radio or demand gen TV. If you want to listen on YouTube. And then I think a few others that come to mind are the marketer's journey from Uberflip as well. I actually have a blog on the top 15 podcast that uh, I listened to um, that I did redid for 2021. So you guys can check that out on my blog if you want to see all 15 that I recommend. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, tell us what's your, like. yeah, what's your blog? We want to share that. Super easy. It's moyervandenecker.com. I say super easy, although that's a lot of letters. My name is very <laughs> difficult to spell, <laughs> but moyervandenecker.com and, and you can find my blog post. I think I posted a few, a few uh, posts back at the beginning of January. Well, and for those listening, I have to say that Moira's blog is really top-notch. I, I've been following along. First of all, I love it because you are taking this idea of making it very lifestyle focused, but adding it to the B2B, you know, it's B2B, but lifestyle, (laughs) if that makes sense, right? It's a work in progress. I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's B2B, it's it's lifestyle, but it's really chock full. It's a B2B lifestyle. It's chock full of really valuable insight and, and just really smart um, smart observations from you, Moira, as, as, as a B2B marketer. Um, and I, and I love your, your, your blog when you do, when you do post and share about it. So we'll make sure to have the link in there for others to go check it out. Um, okay. This is, oh no, we have a few more here. What's your favorite business or marketing book? One that I have had on my desk that just recently popped up and I, I don't know if it's a, it's a thorough, um, marketing book, but, but I think it's pretty interesting given kind of what we just talked about is um, it's by the CMO of Sixth Sense. It's called No Spams, No Forms, No Cold Calls. And mm. I think it's, it's pretty interesting because it speaks to, I think, I mean, we can put ourselves in the shoes of, of buyers um, as well as I guess our marketers and really getting past sort of those annoying tactics that come at us. You know, nobody really wants to fill out the form anymore. Nobody really wants to get these cold calls and all of that spam. And so what is the way around it? And, and I think they do a really nice job of explaining kind of this, this new philosophy, this new approach. And, and of course it's a little, I get think promotional for six cents, but it, it actually has a lot of value for marketers. Latney shares a lot of uh, her approach and how she sets her marketing strategies. So I think it's a cool book. 
Awesome. We'll have to check awesome. that one out. All right. Here's our, our bonus question. And we'll have to maybe give some color around it later. But who is the most famous person that you've had the opportunity to meet? You guys are looking at him right behind me here. I've had dinner with Ringo Starr. So that would probably be my most famous person that I've I've been able to meet in my lifetime. That is amazing. And for the, so we'll have the video, but for those that are listening, Moira is sitting in what I think looks like your dining room or, or, or living room. And behind her, she has these amazingly awesome portraits of all four Beatles. And we can see Ringo's, Mr. Ringo Starr right behind her. Uh, and for those of you who know me, you know that I'm a huge Beatles fan. And so when we had the opportunity to connect with Moira prior to the show, um, we discovered that she actually has this amazing connection to Ringo. So that was pretty awesome. Okay, as a quick follow-up, and just because I'm curious, what is your favorite Beatles album or song? That is like the hardest question you can ask someone, isn't it? I know, it is. It, I know. It, it's <laughs> almost like a trick question because you could say all of them and I'd be okay with that. Well, what is yours, Gabby? <laughs> what is yours? Oh, goodness. You're going to turn the tables on me. Um, you know, my go-to, it, it obviously depends on my mood. I would say Revolver's my favorite album. Um, but if I had to pick just one Beatles song, which is, like I said, impossible, I would say Eleanor Rigby um, because I really love the orchestration. I love the storytelling of the song. It's a mood. It's a vibe. It's. I think it's one of... The, the most beautifully written, but also melancholic songs. And it just shows the depth of the Beatles and sort of their range from being very pop, rock and roll, to also just beautiful storytellers. So that's my favorite. I mean, I'm going to say yesterday, but honestly, it's it's impossible. Like, I, I don't know. I can't pick just one. <laughs> Mike, Mike I, do you have a favorite? I don't know that I have a favorite. I'm also not as big of, like, I like the Beatles. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not nearly as big of a Beatles fan as Gabby is. That's and true. I, like, if you ask me to name more than 10 Beatles songs, I'm not sure that I can do that off the top. <laughs> I don't know how we're married, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think you might be, like, the only person I've ever heard say that you're not, that that's not a big Beatles fan. I, I just, I know yet. Like I like what I mean by that is like I love their music. I think it's great. I just like I don't I don't know that I'm like a big fan of any musical group or anything. I don't know. Like he's not know, like he's not like diehard, like I know the yes. albums, I know the songs. He's just like, Yeah, that's cool, I'll listen to it. I think that's more Mike's vibe. Yeah. Right. But I, I'm with you, Moira. I love yesterday, but at the same time, I just love all of them, right? They're they're just they're so they're so good. All, all, every one of them, even the ones that I don't really like, I still like them, you know? <laughs> I know. All right. We can probably go on and on about the Beatles, but we won't because this is not a Beatles podcast. This is a B2B marketing podcast. So last question, Moira, who is a B2B marketer that you admire or follow on LinkedIn? You know, again, who, who's someone that I think if you haven't heard of them, you should go follow because he he posts really interesting things. Chris Walker from Refine Labs. Yep. Um, I think he says some really interesting, provocative pieces of uh, content. And then I would also say you guys should follow Mike 
on LinkedIn because you <laughs> also have been posting some really interesting and provocative kind of thoughts. And, and I actually love the way that you guys share kind of your business uh, philosophy, you know, what you're living day to day. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've heard um, you're not the first person to say Chris Walker. And actually, if I were in your shoes, I would probably say Chris Walker myself. So Chris Walker, if you're listening, um, you've got some fans here on Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. And we'd love to have you on the show as well, Chris. And Mike, I would agree with you, Moira. I think he shares some pretty awesome B2B content. But I'm not in your shoes. So I will say that you are someone that I really admire and love seeing your content on LinkedIn. So we have some wonderful people to follow. If uh, those listening today, follow all of us because we're all great B2B marketers. Um, Well, thank you so much. This has been delightful, Myra. Thank you for joining us today. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Oh, please find me on LinkedIn. And and of course you have my my blog, but yet you can find me on LinkedIn. I don't think there's another Moira Vandenacker out there. So there's no numbers. It's just my name. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And we'll have the links to, uh, to your LinkedIn and to your blog for everyone to share once this episode is live. This podcast is brought to you by Proofpoint Marketing. We believe marketing means nothing if it doesn't help you achieve stronger business outcomes. And here at Proofpoint, we like to say that the proof is in the pudding. If you're in need of some sweet, sweet digital marketing pudding, then it's time to partner with a high-performing team of revenue marketers who don't just tout tactics, but prove them. And until next time, we'll see you guys back here soon at Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the ProofPoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.